Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. certainly glad that you and your family are here today. You know, just to give you some perspective, this is the final of 15 services that this uh, weekend here, Buchanan, the workhouse, as Nick mentioned, last night, 17 professions of faith there, so we praise God uh, for that. And four different gatherings of believers across the island of the Dominican Republic and over into Haiti. So we're all a part of what's happening in those 15 services. I'm glad you're here. This is the final one, but my family's here. This is, a, I got to be ready to go. I got my family here. My grandson's in the back in my office. I walked out. I said, you going to listen to Pop Pop? He said, no, no, he's uh, probably going to be watching the Wiggles right now, even as we, we begin. You know, over this Christmas, or excuse me, it's Easter, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you. Pray for me. I'm tired. Easter. We just get Nick fired up. We'd really have something here today, wouldn't we? <laughs> Over this Easter, we, we've talked a little bit about how we, in our, in our lives, most of us are moving in this journey from betrayal uh, to belief. And so last week, we looked at one of the bad boys of the Easter story. We looked at, we looked at Judas. And Judas really personifies betrayal because Judas traded in the eternal for the temporary. But we do that a lot in our lives. I've done that a ton in my life where I've traded in the eternal for the temporary. But as we we move on, God is calling us to to greater levels of belief and, and surrender. But something that stands in the way is this four letter word. Actually, it's five doubt. You see, doubt is really a barrier from betrayal to belief for all of us. And today we're going to look at a a character in the story that you're familiar with. His name is Thomas, but but you know him as as what? Doubting Thomas. And I I sort of feel like Thomas gets a a bad bad rap. He's kind of like the Bill Buckner of the Easter story. And I said that last night, like nobody got that. And in the 1986 World Series, Bill Buckner played first base for the Boston Red Sox, and he let a ground ball go right through his legs. I even asked the folks, I said, you remember who hit the ground ball? And one guy on the second row, I kid you not, he said, Babe Ruth. <laughs> Babe Ruth had been dead, I think, 60 years when that game was played. And another guy yelled out Jesus in the back, because he thought, you know, every answer in church is that. But, <laughs> but Buckner's remembered really for missing that ball costing the Red Sox the World Series. But he had a 22-year career where he hit 290. He was an all-star. He was, he was a great, great player, but we really remember that moment. And in, in much uh, the same way, it's Thomas's story. We know him for his doubts, but really Thomas in many ways can be a picture of, of, of belief. And so we'll see that today. If you, if you have your Bible, go ahead and, and open your scripture up to John chapter 20. And we're going to begin with Thomas's story in verse 24. But before we get there, let me just recap in maybe 30 to 45 seconds what happens in the first 23 verses. You know, the story begins with Mary going to the tomb that first Easter morning very early. She finds a stone rolled away and the body is not in the tomb. She hurries back and 
She tells the other apostles, and Simon, Peter, and John make their way to the tomb. John outruns Peter. Simon gets there out of breath, goes in first, finds the cloth folded up and the body gone from the tomb. They hurry back to tell the rest of the apostles, but Mary stays behind. She's weeping. She turns around and she sees in the early morning mist in the darkness someone she thinks perhaps could be just a gardener. And, and she, she asked the gardener, where have you taken his body? Just tell me and we'll go to him. And then the supposed gardener utters something she had heard thousands of times. It was her name. When he said Mary, she knew exactly who was calling her by name. And she responds back, teacher, it was Christ. And she is overjoyed. And she returns with a message of this resurrected Jesus. And that Sunday night, they gather together and Jesus shows up. The scripture is pretty clear. Something I want to point out here, the door is locked because where they're gathered, they're gathered in fear because they believe they're the next ones to maybe lose their life like Jesus had lost his life. And Jesus shows up among them and he shows them his hands and he shows them his side and they're overjoyed. Now we pick up in verse 24, Thomas's story, the doubter. Scripture says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which just means the, the twin. He was one of the 12, and, and he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. That's very interesting. If you have your Bible open, maybe you could underline that because that's going to be super significant for our story today. Meaning that first Sunday when Jesus shows up to the rest of the apostles, Thomas isn't there. So the other disciples told him, these are guys that he'd spent three years with. They told him, we have seen the Lord. In other words, he's, he's alive, he's risen. But Thomas doesn't believe it. Thomas says, I, you know what, I'm a, I'm a realist. I don't believe that dead men walk out of the grave. And that may work for the rest of you guys, but I'm not given to that. Like, I'm not gonna give in in my sorrow and, so, and, and, and believe something that I just know in my mind is impossible to take place. And then he makes this statement. This is what he's known for perhaps more than anything else, Thomas says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. It's this big, arrogant statement that Thomas makes. I'm not like the rest of you guys. You know what? For me to believe it, I'm going to have to be able to touch the holes in his hand. I've got to touch the piercing in his side. That's what it's going to take. For me to believe. Though the doors were locked on that Sunday night, the scripture says, Jesus came again among them and said, peace be with you. Verse 27, look at this. Then he said to who? To Thomas. Put your finger here, Thomas. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Hey, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to the Lord, my Lord and my God. You see, Thomas is a, Thomas is a picture of, of not necessarily doubt. Yeah, he had real doubts, and we're going to see what he did with those. And God revealed himself, but he's a picture of belief, of trust. Then Jesus told him, he said, because you have seen me, you have believed. But he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you know who Jesus was talking about there, by the way? He's talking about you. 
Isn't that fascinating that you're mentioned in the pages of Scripture? That's pretty cool, isn't it? Those that haven't seen yet believe. You know, the number one question I'm asked here is, is this. Why do you cut the label off your bottled water, Pastor Brady? That's a good question. I don't think it has profound theological implications. I say, well, because if I don't, people wonder, is he drinking Dasani or is that Aquafina? I don't know which one he's drinking. I like the Aquafina. He seems to like Dasani. I can't stand Dasani. See, and you've, you're distracted. See, we're easily distracted. So I just go ahead and cut the, cut the label off. I'm doing that for you. <laughs> Probably the second question I'm asked, and whenever I'm asked this, you can always tell when they come to you, they're kind of looking. See if anybody's behind. Hey, Pastor Brady. You ever have any doubts? You ever have any doubts? You know what I say? Never. Never had one. Way more spiritual than you are. <laughs> That's not what I say. I say I've had doubts all my life. Even today, doubt creeps in from time to time. It shows up unannounced. You see, I spent a lot of my life being ashamed of my doubts. Thomas's story has really helped me, and I hope it'll help you today. Because here's the thing about doubt. Doubt, yeah, doubt can take you out. Doubt can destroy your faith. But doubt can also, if you, if you, if you work through it the right way, doubt can develop a deeper belief and commitment in God. And for some of you, you're here today, and this may not even be about you, but, but you're a mom or a dad, and you're going to have to sit across the kitchen table with a 17-year-old one day who is questioning everything they have believed. And so walking them through their doubts in a healthy way is going to be so super important for you. But let's talk about that. How do we move in our life from doubt to belief? And we're going to see and learn a lot from Thomas's story. Here's the first thing that I want you to see today. Number one, Thomas's story reminds us that we can be honest about our doubts. I mean, Thomas is honest about his doubts, isn't he? I mean, he stands up among his boys. He said, I'm not going to believe unless I see his hands and see his side. I'm not like the rest of you. Thomas has real doubts. His doubts are he doesn't believe that a dead man can walk out of the grave, and he expresses that. He's honest with his doubts. Can I tell you that doubts come really in two flavors? There's really two kinds of doubts. It's the, is it worth it doubt? It's a time in your life when you think, you know what, here's what God is calling me to, sacrifices in my life that the Lord is calling me to make, or maybe some difficulties that I'm going through in my life right now, and I really don't know, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it for me to continue to follow Christ and doubt creeps in? Are the, is it true doubts? Is it true? Is it true did Jesus really walk out of the grave? Is Jesus really the only way to God? Uh, can I really trust the Bible? Is it true? Is it true? Is it true? Is it worth it? Is it true? Those are the kind of doubts that creep into our life. And it might surprise you to know that 100% of Jesus' first century followers had doubts. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus the man who was born having the Holy Spirit from birth. I mean, the dude who baptized Jesus. I mean, you're looking for a spiritual resume builder. You know, you want to kind of lay that out? John, tell me what you've got in your background spiritually. Well, I baptized Jesus. That's good. Yeah, we'll, go, we'll roll with that. At the end of John the Baptist's life, he's in jail, and he sends folks to Jesus and asks this question, are you the one who is to come, or should we look and wait for someone else? Because John was wrestling with, is it worth it, is it worth it, is it worth it, and doubt creeped in. Can I tell you something today that I hope will help you? Jesus doesn't toss you out if you doubt. 
Can I tell you that again? In those moments where you have some doubt, Jesus doesn't toss you out if you doubt. And you say, well, where are you getting that? Because he doesn't do that with Thomas. I mean, Thomas is pretty arrogant, isn't he? I mean, doubting Thomas. I'm not going to believe unless I see his hands and, and put my finger in his hands and his side. And then Jesus shows up. And who does he go to first? He goes to Thomas. Jesus reveals himself to Thomas. Can I just tell you something that I think could help you? Jesus will not toss you out if you doubt. Be honest with your doubts. And he may just reveal himself to you in a powerful way. You, you can be a follower of Christ who wrestles with some doubt at times. You know, this isn't the first time, John chapter 20 isn't the first time that we hear from Thomas in the scripture. In fact, the first time we hear from him is John chapter 11. This is, this is much earlier in the Jesus story. And, and you know maybe a little bit about the background of this story if I just, just remind you. In John chapter 11, Jesus tells his disciples that are, they're going back to Judea. They're going back to the region of Jerusalem because Lazarus is dead and Jesus is going back. And, and the disciples know this, the last time they were in that same spot, they just barely made it out with their lives. And so they're thinking, Jesus, we're, we're not gonna test fate again. We're not going back. I mean, we're not dying over Lazarus's deal. And it is Thomas who speaks for the first time in the New Testament. Here's what he said. John chapter 11, verse 16. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That doesn't sound like a guy who's just bent on rejecting everything that Jesus says. Here's a guy who takes this bold stand, is willing to die for Jesus. Isn't it fascinating? I want you to see this. Isn't it fascinating that Thomas's faith at this point really anchors the rest of the disciples in John chapter 11? But in John chapter 20, as Thomas is experiencing some doubt, it is the other disciples that sort of really anchor him. That's why we need other believers around us as we walk through doubt. Can I tell you something today that could help you? If there is with you today, those of you are in the overflow area, and I'm, I'm sorry you're there. If we were spiritual, you know, the Bible says the last should be first, so we should really clear this room out and let you guys sit here, but we're not that spiritual, so I, I'm sorry you're, you're in overflow, but, but, but I hope it's a good experience for you. If there is even a seed of faith, let me say this to you. If there is even a seed of faith in your life, a seed of faith, and it may be amid a boatload of doubt, I believe Jesus will reveal himself to you if you'll be honest about your doubts. I love this story in Mark chapter 9. It's a father who's coming to Jesus. It's one of my favorite stories in the New Testament for a couple reasons. Number one, I'm a father of boys. and th th This guy's coming because he's got a boy who's demon-possessed. Now, my boys were not demon-possessed. There's a couple stretches there in high school where we, it, it turned out it wasn't. It was adolescence, but it was, it was, it was dicey. But anyway... Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, the father answers. It has often thrown him into the, the, the fire or water to kill him. But, it, but here's the father but says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. This is a seed of faith amid a boatload of doubts. And Jesus calls it out. Jesus says in verse 23, he just repeats back the phrase, if you can. He says, that's what you said to me, if you can. And then Jesus makes this statement. It is so amazing, so amazing. It's what I want for you. It's what I want for me. It's what I want for my family. I want us to understand this. Jesus says, everything is possible for the one who believes. You see, doubt will take you out. Doubt will keep you 
from what God wants to do in your life. Jesus says everything is possible for the one who believes. And this dad is so excited. And listen to how he responds. And this has been the story of my life. He's about to put into words what I have felt. And I just wonder how many of you have felt the same thing with me. Look at verse 24. The father says uh, immediately, he says, I do believe Jesus. Help me overcome my unbelief. Have you ever been there in your life? Jesus, I do believe but would you help me with these different areas of my life? Help me overcome my doubt, my unbelief. And you know what Jesus does next in this story? He heals the boy. He casts the demon out. The demon never returns again. In other words, Jesus doesn't rebuke this dad for having just a little bit of faith and a bunch of doubt. He responds, and I'm telling you, that's what the Lord can do for you. Even if you have just a seed of faith amid a boatload of doubt, God can reveal himself. Let me summarize this section with this statement. I want you to get this. There in the balcony, you guys with me? I'm going to go anyways. I was waiting for a response and it was just getting awkward. (laughs) Silent doubts rarely blossom into committed beliefs. If I'm silent with my doubts, they rarely blossom into committed beliefs. But if I'm honest with the Lord about my doubts and honest with another, I mean, some of you, let's just be real today. Some of you, you really even struggle with whether or not God even exists. You know what I would say to you? If there is a seed of faith today that he does, would you just be honest with him about that? Even right now, you don't have to listen to the rest of the message. Just talk to him about that. Lord, I, like Thomas, I just, want to be, I just want to be honest with my doubts, and I believe our God will reveal himself to you. Be honest with others. That's why we believe so much in small groups here, because it's really not a space this morning for you to stand up and talk about your doubts. When we get together in circles, it's a chance for us to talk about our doubts, and God honors that in powerful ways. Number two, we need to learn to be honest about our doubts. Number two, we need to learn to doubt our doubts. Now, this is tougher. You're, you're going to you're gonna have to think here for a moment. You've got to learn to doubt your doubts. And, and, and we have done an entire podcast. One of our staff members, Andrew Cloud, who writes a lot of research, does a lot of research for me, he's done about a 15-minute podcast just on this point. Let me tell you how gracious I am as your pastor I knew that I would be prone to talk about 30 minutes on this one point, and so we just recorded a podcast so you can get more if you want it, right? But for the rest of you, I'm just going to give you the cliff note versions, right? So you can get to the ham and deviled eggs. You ready? All right. What does it mean to doubt your doubts? Hold your doubts to the same level of scrutiny that that you would hold your Christian beliefs to. That's what we don't do. When we have a doubt, somebody tells us something, maybe we hear something in a class that says, you know what, the Bible can't be trusted because the Bible's been changed so much over the last thousand years that it can't really be trusted as authoritative truth. So we just hear that and we just take that as truth. We don't doubt our doubts. Like, men, if you would spend just half as much time doubting your doubts, like, researching, seeing what evidence is there for some of the things that are really affecting your faith as, as we even do in our fantasy football draft. Man, we, we, we might uncover just a boatload of evidence is there, but we don't, we don't doubt our doubts. We can teach our children to doubt our doubts because all of us doubt is going to come. And doubting your doubts, look at this, doubting your doubts often leads to great discoveries in our faith. Lee, Lee Strobel for me is one of the heroes of my faith. Lee Strobel was an atheist. He was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune, an investigative reporter. And, and in a service kind of like this, an Easter about 25 years ago, Lee's wife was invited to a worship service. He didn't go. 
but she was exposed to the truth of Christ as her Savior and Lord, and she put her faith and trust in Christ and was spiritually born again. And she came back to tell her husband he was really furious about her decision and wanted his wife back, he said. And so he began to set out to prove to her that Christianity was false, that it was a hoax, that it couldn't be trusted. And so in many ways, he's doing this. He's doubting his doubts. He's investigating. While he's investigating the claims of Christ, he sees just a mountain of evidence And God reveals himself to him and he put his faith and trust in Christ and he's a follower of Jesus today. In fact, he's a pastor today. He's written a couple books that are amazing. He's written a book called A Case for Faith and A Case for Christ. And if you're one who struggles with doubt, those would be great places to really start. It was about 10 years ago and I looked on my calendar one afternoon and I had a guy coming in. I didn't, didn't know who he was as an appointment. And so I looked him up and uh, he's a surgeon here in town. And I, I'd actually kind of heard of him. And so he comes in and uh, it was January and it was cold, but he's wearing a short sleeve shirt. Because guys who are jacked up always, like, I mean, cut, that's what I'm talking about. They always wear short sleeve shirts in January. And this dude walked in and I'm like, man, this guy's jacked up. He's huge. His arms are as big as my legs. And he sits down in my office and he just begins to go off on me. He, he starts with this. He says, I just want you to know I'm an atheist. I'm like, man, God, why couldn't you send like a Harry Potter-sized atheist? Why do <laughs> you have to send like a Thor-sized atheist here? And he, I mean, I'm not, he's just, he's just going about just all the things that he doesn't believe about Christianity and just right down the line, boom, 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 boom. I just let him go, and I'm just praying, Jesus, help me. And uh, finally, I said, you know what, I, I'm glad you're here, and uh, I've had doubts too in my life. I said, I, I just maybe would ask you one question. I mean, you listed about seven or eight things that you doubt about Christianity. I said, would you be, would you be willing to investigate those doubts? Would you be willing to hold those doubts to the same level of scrutiny that that you're holding these faith claims in Christianity to? And to my surprise, he said, sure. I gave him a case for faith by Lee Strobel. It was about two days later, he texted me back. He said, that book was amazing. Has he written anything else? And then before I could respond, he said, I already looked it up. He has. I ordered it. (laughs) He read it. We began to meet and just study the Bible. Today, he is as devoted a follower of Christ as I know takes a lot of his own time off from his practice and goes and travels overseas and does mission trips. I've, 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 I've heard him preach. I've heard him share the gospel time and time again. And 10 years ago, here's a dude who was in my office just railing because of his unbelief, but he doubted some of those doubts and came face to face with overwhelming evidence and God reveals himself to him and he's a devoted follower of Christ today. See, that's what happens sometimes when we doubt our doubts. Great discoveries are made. So let's do that for about five minutes today, right? Let's practice this. I mean, here's Thomas's doubt. Thomas doubts whether a man who was alive and now was dead could walk out of the grave. That's a doozy, isn't it? That's a big deal. And Thomas says, I don't know if I believe that. And that's like where many of you are today. You're like, I know Nick believes it, but I'm not sure I believe it. I get that. Well, let's just doubt our doubts. Let's just look at some of the evidence. I'm not telling you to believe anything. I'm just saying doubt your doubts. Look at some of the evidence that might support what you believe is false. Hold it to the same level of scrutiny that you're holding to your belief that Jesus wasn't resurrected. So here's a couple things. Number one, 
Why do I believe Jesus is resurrected from the grave? Because the Old Testament prophesied it over and over again, some 1,500 years before Jesus would even be born. Um, David in the Psalms says that, God, we know that you will not abandon your Holy One to the grave, nor will you let his body see decay. Isaiah over and over again talks about how the Messiah would be crushed for our transgression. So the Old Testament prophesies this resurrection of Jesus. But here's where some of you are. See, th see, that's another problem I have. I doubt the Bible is accurate. I believe, like you said a moment ago, the Bible's been changed so much over the last thousand years that it can't be trusted. Can I tell you something? In a five-minute Google search, you can find out that that claim that you believe is just not scientifically true. You're like, what in the heck are you talking about? Man, you're a preacher. I mean, that can't be proved scientifically. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. It happened in the late 40s and the early 50s just off the, the shore of the Dead Sea. I've been there three different times to a community known as Qumran, one of the greatest archaeological discoveries in the history of the world. Inside these caves, a massive, massive amount of biblical texts were recovered. Every book in the Old Testament, sections of every book in the Old Testament, the entire 66 chapters, a scroll, the entire 66 chapters of Isaiah and the manuscripts they found were a thousand years older than any manuscripts we have today. So listen, if you say, listen, over the last thousand years, the Bible's been changed so many times it can't be trusted. You know what they found in Isaiah? Do you know how many changes or differences they found in this ancient manuscript from Qumran? from what we have in our Bible today, zero. Look it up. Doubt your doubts. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm, I'm just saying, you know what? If, you just, if you're going to be a skeptic, be an honest skeptic. Why do I believe that Jesus was bodily resurrected? Because Jesus predicted it over and over again. In fact, the people who sent Jesus to the cross knew what he had said multiple times. That's why the Jews had so many Romans there guarding the tomb, because they knew he had predicted his resurrection. Now, they didn't believe it was going to happen, but they heard him say it. Jesus called his shot. Now, here's the third thing. If this was a hoax, listen, thank, thank, thank. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a hoax. It's the greatest hoax in the history of the world, isn't it? Because today, there are dudes all over the United States, all, all over planet Earth who are gathering, and they put on a jacket they had, and a tie they hadn't worn since last year at this time to come and worship this resurrected Savior. Millions of people are deceived. But, but here, that's not the point. Here's my point. Who would have had to been behind the deception? Isn't that a good question to ask? If this is a hoax, who was behind it? Well, the answer to that is pretty obvious who's behind it. It had to have been his apostles, right? If not them, who else? No one. So if they created this lie, why is the first eyewitness in their story a woman? Mary's the first at the tomb. And some of you are like, man, that's arrogant. What are, you, what are you talking about? In a first century culture, a woman was not able to testify to any legal proceedings. So if you're going to create, you're going to generate a lie, I mean, make it a good one. It doesn't make any sense that you would have your first eyewitness, somebody who was not able to, to, to share what they share as an eyewitness in any kind of legal proceeding. That doesn't make any sense, but let's just move on. Remember when we studied John chapter 20? What did we see? We saw the door locked multiple times. It's almost as if God wants us to know that this group of first followers were scared to death. And wouldn't you have been scared too? I mean, if your rabbi had just been brutally crucified in the city 
And word is on the street, they're looking for his followers. They're scared to death. And so the door is locked. But about four weeks after this event takes place, the door is not locked. In fact, this group of followers leave that room. They're out on the street at a festival called Pentecost when Jerusalem was packed with people. And Simon Peter says, hey, if I can have everybody's attention, you know what happened here about a month ago when you brutally crucified a rabbi known Jesus? He wasn't just anybody. He was a long-awaited Messiah. He was a son of God. What you guys just did, you you you." killed God. But listen, he didn't stay in the grave. He's resurrected just as he told us he would on the third day. And if you would repent of your sin and believe in him, then you could be born again. I mean, this is fearless preaching. What happened? Watch this. Resurrection happened. But, 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 but think about it. They understood. Why are they scared four weeks earlier? They're scared for their what? Their lives. But then when they see Jesus, he's passed over from death to life. He has defeated death. Their greatest fear has been defeated. So it just dawns on them. Listen, because of our connection, because of our faith in him, and because of what he did, his victory has now been given to us. So the fear of death didn't hold sway over them like it did before. Do you see that? Pretty powerful. Here's the one that got me. Here's the one that got me. Let's do the math here. Jesus had 12 apostles. Judas hangs himself. Now we're down to, it's pretty no brainer there. That's just, uh, it's just 11. You got it? Good. Down to 11. Let's talk about those guys. They would have had to been the core, the center of this hoax. Here's what we know. Here's what history tells us about these men. Matthew, first book in your New Testament, apostle, follower of Jesus. He was ran through with a sword in Ethiopia because of his faith in Christ and would not recant his belief that Jesus was resurrected. Mark, second book in your New Testament, an apostle spent three years with Jesus in the city of Alexandria, Egypt. He would not recant his faith in Jesus Christ and that Jesus was bodily resurrected. So they drug him through the streets of Alexandria behind horses until he was dead. Luke, fearless preacher in Greece, he will not stop preaching the truth of who Jesus Christ is, so he was hung in Greece for his faith. John, the youngest of the apostles, the one who beat Simon Peter to the tomb in John chapter 20, will not stop sharing the truth of who Christ is in Rome and because of that, he is boiled in oil, church history tells us. Interestingly enough, it doesn't kill him. So they exile him to an island of Patmos. Interestingly enough is where he pins the book of Revelation, which will begin in two weeks. Peter, Simon Peter, he's crucified upside down because when they went to crucify him, he said, I don't deserve to be crucified right side up. So they turn him upside down. And he's crucified upside down for what he believed about Jesus Christ. Thomas, doubting Thomas, makes it all the way to India, history tells us. And he will not stop spreading the truth of who Jesus Christ is. So he is run through with a sword. Here's my question. Here's what I don't get. This is what we know from history. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a hoax... These guys were behind the hoax, right? Here's the question. Would you die for what you know is an absolute lie? That's what I'm talking about, doubting your doubts. 
I ask the question. Let, let me ask it again. The answer for me is no. What about you? When push came to shove, when a sword is an arm length away and all you have to do is recant that Jesus is the Messiah and you know he wasn't bodily resurrected, is the sword going through you or are you going home that night? I'm going home, how about you? Unless it's true. You see, to be honest, that's the only thing that really makes sense. We could go on down through the line. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at this. I'm almost done. We're doubting our doubts. Well, it's just a, just a small group of 12 people that saw this. That's not what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. Paul says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Paul's really clear that what happened to Jesus was predicted in scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to scripture. He reminds us of that again. And that he appeared to Cephas, Simon Peter, and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than, look at this, 500 of the brothers and sisters. You might say, well, you know what? I don't believe it. That's why Paul puts this next phrase in, most of which are alive. In other words, he's saying, go ask them. Can I just tell you something? If you're an attorney, you got 500 eyewitnesses that corroborate your case, you know what you are? A winner. Here's another evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 2,000 years of changed lives. My buddy who I told you about a few moments ago who was an atheist, he sat right there on the front row in the last service. Changed. Is that your story? You see, the change in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ is a proof of the resurrection. Can I tell you something? I want to close. Watch this. I can't promise you that you won't have doubts in your life. You'll have those, is it worth it? Is it true moments? We all have them. But here's what I want you to do. You see, doubt increases in our life when we lose sight of the foundation of our faith. And you know what the foundation of our faith is? is it the resur it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? If, so if you're solid on that, a, a solid understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ will anchor your soul during those moments of doubt. Resurrection, a proper understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ really sands off the edges of your doubt. So be honest about your doubt. Learn to doubt your doubt. And here it is. Ask the right question about your doubt. I love this in John chapter 6. Time to go. Don't miss this. Jesus is like a rock star early in his ministry. He's performing miracles. He feeds the 5,000, and people are coming by the thousands. And then Jesus begins to make some demands on the people, challenging them. And it's like, check, please, the masses that they're out. They're heading home. And so Jesus circles back with his disciples. Watch what he asks. Watch this. Watch it. Don't miss it. Jesus says to his disciples in verse 67, you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12, listen to Simon Peter's answer. Man, this is gold. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? That's the question you ask your doubts. To whom shall we go? Listen to what Simon Peter says. You have the words of life. Simon Peter says, is it difficult? Yeah, is this a challenge? Yeah, do I have doubts? But where else would I go, Jesus? To whom shall I go? You have the words of life. So that's the question you ask your doubts. To whom shall I go? If not Jesus, listen to me, who? If not Jesus, what? Now, I'm not trying to be offensive or, or, or cynical, but, but some, I know what some are saying. Well, well science, this is the age of, 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 of reason. That, that's where my trust is. Well, I grew up, listen, I, here, here's what I grew up with science. I grew up believing that eggs were good. Eggs aren't good anymore, right? My wife lets me have them once a week. I had them last night. They were great. 
I grew up drinking milk because milk does the body good. Because science told us milk is good. Milk is bad, right? Milk is bad. These are the folks that gave us flat earth, right? Now, I'm I'm not critical of science. Science is a great friend of, of, of Christianity. In fact, 200 years ago, theology was called the queen of sciences. But listen, they don't have the answers to the origin of the universe because they weren't out there. Listen, if you're going to let doubt cause you to step away from your faith, you need to know where you're going to because when you step, listen, listen, when you step away from Jesus, you're stepping towards something else. Can I just be crystal clear with you? Do I have doubts in my life? Yes. Are there is it worth it moments? Yes. Are there is it true moments? Yes. But this question helps me. To whom shall I go? Can I just tell you where I'm at? I'm going to stay with the one who stepped out of the grave. That's where I'm at. That's what anchors my soul. And you will never know. Listen, you'll never know. You'll never know what God could do with your marriage, with your children, with your career. You'll never know what God could do in your life if you let doubt take you out. Last thing. Why was Thomas not there that first Sunday night when Jesus appears? All the other disciples were there. You ever thought about that? Thomas isn't there. I think he wasn't there for a reason. He's an example to all future believers who were not there. Will you believe the testimony of others? You see, Thomas not being there is for us because we weren't there either, right? But will we believe the testimony of others? And so what does Thomas do? Thomas has real doubt. He's honest with his doubt and Jesus reveals himself to him. And then Thomas's discovery leads him to a great statement of faith. My Lord and my God, Thomas says. And then what does Jesus say in response? And we'll close. Jesus says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Again, blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. And look at verse 30 and 31. This is so good. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not even recorded in this book. This is John writing. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is saying, I know you weren't there. And that is why I'm writing to you what I saw so that by believing in that, you might have life in his name. Can I tell you something? Listen, listen. You don't have to have all your doubts worked out to believe. You don't have to understand everything to believe something. But you're here today. And all your life, These doubts have been so pervasive in your life. You see, this resurrection story has been a story on a page that your grandmother believed, but you're way more like Thomas 
You say, I won't believe unless I see his hands and his side. Can I tell you something in these final few moments? Would you be honest with your doubts? Is there a chance that maybe even today, maybe even today for some of you, there has been a discovery made. Like God has showed you something in Scripture that you have never seen before. What's happening? God has opened your eyes like he opened Thomas's eyes. And you say, oh, I see it. This story is a rescue story because I've been paralyzed by fear all my life. That's really been such a huge part of my life. Fear of this, fear of that. And the ultimate fear is death. That's the ultimate fear I have. But I never fully understood the implications of resurrection that Jesus defeated death and his victory could now be mine. I see it. I've never seen it before. And when Thomas sees it, when his eyes are open, what does he say? My Lord. You know what that statement is? It's a statement of surrender because that's what some of you have never done. Listen, some of you, when Thomas says, Jesus, you are my Lord, he is, he is disclaiming very clearly that he no longer is, is the one calling the shots. That's called surrender. My Lord and my God. That's the key to life. You've got doubts, be honest with them. Has God began to open your eyes today and given you faith to believe? If so, what is the message of Easter? You can pass from death to life. Would you bow your head with me this morning in the balcony here on the lower floor? Those of you that are over in the overflow this morning, Thomas, real doubts, that's your story. Something in the last few moments for a handful of you here today has occurred and God has opened your eyes to see it in a way that you've never seen it before. It's exhilarating. He is alive. And you want to take hold of that life. Would you make him your Lord by faith? Would you say this today? Some of you just silently right where you are. Jesus, you are my Lord. Tell him this, Jesus, you paid for my sin on the cross. Jesus, you rose victorious over death. And today I see, I see, I believe. Make me your child. Father, thank you for this moment in time. Father, my prayer is for believers here today who still have real doubts Lord, teach us to be honest about our doubts. Lord, teach us to doubt our doubts. And Lord, teach us to ask the right question to our doubts. Whom shall we go? And then, Lord, we pray this. Would you begin to deliver us from our doubts to greater levels of belief and trust? Would you begin to do that in our life, Lord, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com.
This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation. 